Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the program. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Wednesday, July the 12th of 2023. It is eight minutes after five o'clock. On this Wednesday evening, with the South Bend Cubs being idle until Friday, we have another full two-hour program for you on this Wednesday evening. By the way, South Bend will start the post-All-Star break portion of the schedule on the road against Quad Cities on Friday. And, of course, you can hear every South Bend Cup game on WSBT Radio, unless it's the same day as a Notre Dame football game, and then we got to do a little maneuvering. But 97.865% of the time, South Bend Cubs baseball right here on WSBT Radio. Well, I hope you're having a terrific day. A little rain this afternoon here in the South Bend area. And we are looking forward to getting football started around these parts. And I'm sure wherever you are listening to our program, whether it's on 960 a.m. locally in the South Bend area or, heck, worldwide on our streams at WSBTradio.com, WSBT Radio app, our video feed, thanks to the Twitch app. If you're listening to the program, you're probably itching for college football and probably the NFL to get started. And we have... A couple of Notre Dame football segments for you today. The first of three hat trick of opening topics will feature Notre Dame football and expectations. Also, in an hour at 6.05, our weekly conversation with the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, 
blueandgold.com. Tyler Horka, he'll join us to talk about some, I guess, topics leading into fall camp that I think you'll enjoy hearing about. Also on the program tonight, we'll have a conversation in about 20 minutes with returning Notre Dame goaltender Ryan Bischel, grad student, had a fantastic year last year for the Fighting Irish, and he decided right after the season to come back for another go here in South Bend, which definitely makes Notre Dame a contender for the NCAA tournament after missing last year. Irish going to be a lot younger, a big freshman class coming in, but it's pretty good when you've got a goaltender like Ryan Bischel ready to be the backbone of your hockey team. So we'll talk to Ryan about the upcoming season, and also we want to tell you about a youth camp that he is directing here in town in just about a week or so. He will give you all the details, so if you're a parent, of a hockey player and you want some good skill to be taught to them from a guy who knows from the Notre Dame hockey program, Ryan Bischel, then make sure you tune in. In about 20 minutes, we'll have Ryan Bischel live on the program here on WSBT Radio. And, of course, we'll have our hat trick of opening topics, and we will have our Sizzler, our sports wagering segment, which went 4-0 last night. We swept the board on our Major League Baseball All-Star Game picks. So, That adds on to what has been a terrific baseball season for me in this particular segment. We'll take it, and we'll try to build on that on Friday when baseball resumes. But tonight, since there really isn't anything to wager on, let's don't go down the Wimbledon road or some sports that maybe a lot of us don't follow that closely and just throw some darts at the dartboard. So tonight we're going to do something a little different in Sizzler. We're going to look at the Major League Baseball division champion boards and the odds for the teams in the division, who is my choice to win the division, what their odds are, and who would be my second choice. So that will replace regular picks on our Sizzler segment coming up at the end of the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And happy 45 days to the Notre Dame football home opener. Why do I always say home opener? The Notre Dame football opener against the United States Naval Academy in Dublin. 45 days from today, they'll kick it off. They're probably in the second half at about this time, August the 26th, 2.30 Eastern time kickoff on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Okay. Hat trick of opening topics. Topic number one, Notre Dame football 2023 expectations. We all have a thought on how this season will transpire. I've been stuck on nine and three since the end of last year, and I'm still in that nine and three camp right now on July the 12th. So let's bring in another voice. This is a voice that is in the betting world. But at the same time, we are talking about the number of wins that Notre Dame might have in 2023. So, a guy I've gotten to know over the last two years, Tim Murray, who is the primetime host of VEASAN's Sports Wagering Channel, works with Sean King, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and Tulane quarterback. Tim has been on the program a couple of times, and we're actually working on trying to figure out a time that Tim will join us 
every week during the Notre Dame football season to talk about the Irish because he's a big Irish fan, and also we'll talk sports wagering and college football as well. Tim does a great job with podcasts. If you're into wagering or if you love college football talk, Veasan does a great job with the gambling aspect, and Tim's podcast on college football is really, really good. So wherever you get podcasts, look up Tim Murray from Veasan. So Tim actually sent this clip to me saying, you know what? You might want to use this on your show. It's a good talking point. It's someone else's opinion on Notre Dame football. So Tim had on the program noted handicapper Brad Powers, who is also a Notre Dame football fan. So these are two Irish fans talking about Notre Dame this year with the sports gambling angle in the mix. And you'll hear them talking about it, but Brad has a Notre Dame cap on. Now, this happened last week when some big news happened surrounding Notre Dame football, which probably made some people a little more antsy about the Irish than they should. But anyway, we like opinions on Notre Dame football. We like to bring different thoughts. So here you go. The first voice is the host of the VEASAN show in primetime, Tim Murray. And his guest was Brad Powers again, just like Tim, a Notre Dame football fan. Give a listen. Brad and I share some uh, texts every once in a while of uh, of disdain uh, towards a team that he's currently donning on his uh, on his lid there. <laughs> I so, like that hat, though. It's a good hat. It's a uh, fancy lettering. There. I do I like, like the hat. Uh, if, for those not watching with us on uh, VEASAN.com or YouTube TV, it is a Notre Dame cap that he is wearing. Um, Earlier today, earlier this week, as we get into the weeds, uh, Notre Dame missed out on what was a must-land recruit, Justin Scott. It was just brutal, and uh, Brad was not happy about it, and he said, I'm taking under nine wins. So (laughs) why why does a missed out on a five-star recruit correlate to, I know why, but tell the people why, it correlates to an under-win bet for you on Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you got to really connect some dots, and I I understood why a lot of people didn't get it, but to me, Marcus Freeman and that entire staff was hired to be great recruiters. They were supposed to win some of these battles for five stars. They haven't won any yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were 0 for 3 last year in the five-star department, 0 for 1 uh, this year. Uh, So if you can't do what you're hired to do, how can I count on you to do the other things? So, uh, you know, and I question, I think that they're – their best X's and O's, guys, just getting a little bit in the weeds here. Tommy Reese, Harry Heastan, Mason at special teams coordinator, they're all gone. So I do question a little bit of the staff this year. And, look, it all comes down to schedule. USC, in my opinion, is a loss. Ohio State's a loss. Clemson on the road is a loss. There's three. Are they going to sweep the board on the other ones? I don't think so after watching them lose to Marshall and Stanford a year ago as significant <laughs> favorites. All right, Brad so and I that's a handicapper. Up. Who's a Notre Dame fan, Brad Powers, his thoughts on Notre Dame. And again, he might have been a little more grumpy than normal. It was the day that the five-star recruit, the Catholic League kid out of Chicago, Justin Scott, picked Ohio State and did not go to the Fighting Irish. So let's kind of go through the comments. First off, it was labeled that Justin Scott was a must-land recruit for the Fighting Irish. I always have gotten a little jumpy about the star system. I'm not a fan of the recruiting star system. I don't like the fact that 
just because a service is doing their job in their opinion in trying to separate how good the players are by using the star system. A, they're not always accurate. B, they seem to change when a kid goes to a certain school over another school. I've seen that happen way too many times. And I just feel like so many people that dig into recruiting, which is awesome that it's a hobby. People love recruiting that are really, really into it. And we've also gotten to the point where I think there's, this is probably a group of minority fans, but they get so worked up that your favorite school is recruiting a three-star or got a three-star that they stink. They're not very good. Or you have to have a five-star. If you have all four stars, it's not good enough. Let's agree on this. The five-star talents that are truly the elite players are must-haves to win championships. There's no doubt about that. The difference-making players help you get in position to win a championship. Notre Dame has been doing a very, very good job of getting high-end talent in this class that will sign in December. It is loaded with what you guys would all enjoy hearing, four-star recruits. What Brad mentions, have they struck out the last two years on five stars? If you believe in the five-star conversation, yes, they have. Is C.J. Carr a five-star? We hear he's a top-ten quarterback in the class. And if you're in that high company, you would think you would be an elite player, but apparently not. He's only a four-star. So the five-star thing gets under my skin. Here's my belief. Here's what I want to know from a recruiting service. Not five-star, four-star, three-star. Do you believe the player is going to be, A, a dominating elite player, B, a solid starter, C, an adequate starter, D, probably is going to be a role player, or E, you know, they're really not that good. That's how I'd like to have these players pointed out to me. Five-star, four-star, three-star, that just leaves so much to desire. Tell me what you think they're going to be in college, and that helps me understand how good the player is. So have they won the five-star battles? No, they have not. But they still have recruited very, very well. It's not like they're slipping. It is right now on pace to be better than Brian Kelly's recruiting classes. So it's not all lost. I'm not just seeing the dark clouds rolling in. There's still a lot of good things happening. They mentioned possibly the best X and O coaches are gone. He Stan, Mason, Reese. Harry He Stan. I think I speak for 98% of the population that roots for Notre Dame that Harry Heastan is an elite offensive line coach, was a difference-making coach in his two tenures in South Bend, and we hated to see him go after last year. So, yeah, that's a major loss, and that is no disrespect to Joe Rudolph. We're still learning about Joe. I don't care who you brought in. Harry was Harry around these parts. And until we see the next person, Harry's the guy. And again, no disrespect to Joe. Mason did an amazing job 
X's and O's on special teams. Reese, he's complicated. Just follow social media during Notre Dame football games. Tommy's complicated. Was Tommy a great quarterback recruiter? No. Does Tommy have a really good offensive mind? Yes. Was Tommy Reese the best at making changes during the game? No. Did he get the most out of a tough situation in Drew Pine last year? Yes. He made that offense work for a guy that couldn't handle all of the things that they wanted to do. So, Tommy is, I think, a guy that's going to be a head coach. He's being kicked around as a possibility to replace Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. But Tommy's going to have to surround himself with really good recruiters when he takes that next big step. When he worked with Marcus Freeman, I think it did get better because I'm sure the pressure was on. Marcus demanded excellence. And to help get C.J. Carr was a big deal, but some of the prior quarterbacks he brought in, not to Notre Dame standard. So I think we have to learn about Jared Parker as offensive coordinator, play caller. Let's see how he performs. Brad Powers talked about USC, Ohio State, Clemson all being losses, and they won't sweep the rest of the board. I would say this, it wouldn't shock me if they did not sweep the rest of the board, but I think they'll win one of those three personally. I don't think they're going to get swept, lose all three. But I think somebody could knock them off in the other nine games. And I just keep looking at that road game at NC State early in the year. Just a tricky game. Very, very tricky game. I'm still not sold on Pittsburgh yet. I read Pittsburgh could be really, really good. But I think it's just the Phil Dracovic thing that I can't get by and believe that he is going to be a part of a team that could win 10 or 11 games this year. That's hard for me to understand. Also, by the way, talking about X's and O's, I'm fine with Al Golden. I feel like sometimes he gets a bad rap. I'm totally fine with Al Golden as defensive coordinator. All right, so that's one person's opinion going under nine win total in the gambling world on the Notre Dame football team. Nine is the perfect spot. Because there's arguments for 10, there's arguments for 9, there's arguments for 8. I would say a majority of the people in the conversation believe Notre Dame will win between 8 and 10 games this year. There are outliers that go 11 and 7, but for the most part, I think a lot of us are in that 8 to 10 range. 524 WSBT, I'm not going to get to all these hat trick topics for tonight. I'm going to skip the Notre Dame hockey topic. We'll use it tomorrow because it will take about 5 minutes to develop, and I don't have five minutes at this particular time all right so we'll just end with this a little history 44 years ago today july 12 1979 history in a major league ballpark history in quotations it was disco demolition night at comiskey park in chicago chicago shock jock and anti-disco broadcaster steve Dahl was brought in to be a part of a promotion in between games of a white Sox doubleheader WLUP was 97.9 FM, so tickets were discounted to 98 cents to try to get more fans out to the ballpark during a dismal year. The fans brought their disco records that would be destroyed in a big explosion. Dahl came out in army fatigues and a helmet, driven around the field in a Jeep to get the fans riled up. 
50,000 fans showed up for this, believe it or not. There might have been 5,000 there because the Sox were bad. Some fans didn't have their records collected and threw them on the field like a Frisbee. When the records were finally blown up on the field, thousands of field fans ran out on the field and a riot ensued. This is not a Major League Baseball game. Riot police had to be called in to get the fans off the field. The White Sox had to eventually forfeit the second game to the Detroit Tigers after originally the game was postponed. A major problem, there was a large hole created in the outfield grass by the explosion. A bonfire was started by the fans in center field who were also climbing the foul poles. Other fans tore up the field, stole equipment, and set other records on fire. This was a Bill Vec promotion. He got the fans out, but obviously, so to speak, it blew up in his face. He did get attention, but 39 people were arrested for disorderly conduct. The next year, Vex sold the White Sox to the guy who still owns the team, Jerry Reinstor. 44 years ago today, disco demolition night at Comiskey Park. We're going to talk to Notre Dame goaltender Ryan Bischel coming up next. Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSB. All right, James, thank you very much. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is 28 minutes in front of 6 o'clock on this Wednesday evening. Well, we talk a lot about that we are 45 days away from the first Notre Dame football game. For those of us that are hockey junkies, it is 87 days until the Notre Dame hockey team opens up their brand new season against Clarkson on October the 7th. Of course, every Irish game once again on our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3 FM. I'm looking forward to hopping back in the broadcast booth and seeing what the Irish have in store for us this year. And a big reason why this team has a chance to get back to the NCAA tournament is the return of their goaltender, Ryan Bischel, now a grad student. Last year, a 2.39 goals against average and a 931 save percentage. And with a lot of new faces coming into the team, it is really nice to have a veteran guy who can be kind of the backbone of this hockey team ready to roll in 2023. And we welcome Notre Dame goaltender Ryan Bischel to the program. Ryan, always good to catch up with you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. You've got a hockey awesome. camp that's coming up. I know you're getting ready for a hockey season, which I just told the world is 87 days away, which I don't know scares you, yeah. or excites you, or whatever. But we're oh, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. Big time. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's first talk about the hockey camp you have coming up, and sure. for parents who are looking to get their youngsters some instruction and to get it from a Notre Dame hockey player, I think is a really cool opportunity. Ryan, why don't you lay out the dates, a website people can go to, and the age groups yep. and what you're looking to accomplish in the hockey camps. Yeah, so I guess the dates here are July 21st through 23rd, and it runs from, for the, for the age groups, we have the mites and squirts are going to be grouped together from 8 in the morning to around 4.15 in the afternoon. And then the older Peewee and Bantam group starts at 9 a.m. and runs to 12.30 for those three days. Um, and then I guess the inspiration behind starting this was I just had talked to some of my teammates who grew up here, the Slager brothers, and I know one thing that they had expressed is that there was kind of a lack of resources growing up. 
as far as like training and development for young kids in the area. So I figured it would be a good idea to run a camp here with the help of some of my teammates. And I know growing up in Minnesota, I was fortunate to have instruction from a lot of good hockey players and kind of wanted to give that same opportunity to the South Bend community here. So I'm really looking forward to it. Ryan, where's the camp going to be held at? Uh, the Compton Family Ice Arena. Oh, perfect. Those youngsters to get out on that yeah. ice that they sit in the stands and watching you guys play, that's that's an awesome opportunity. Exactly. And for parents, yeah. if they want to sign up their youngsters for the Ryan Bischel Youth Hockey Camp, what is the website they can go to? They can go to www.ryanbischelhockey.com. And then that's, yeah, the registration info is there, and they can find some more information about what the schedule is going to look like and whatnot. So, yeah, it's all one-stop shop. <laughs> all right, ryanbischel.com, and that's B-I-S. And let's see, i got to spell it right here, B-I-S-C-H-E-L. If, uh, yep, you, if you don't cool. know the proper pronounce yep. or spelling of, of Ryan's last name. So make sure you check it out, ryanbischelhockey.com, Compton Family Ice Arena, July 21st through the 23rd. But go to the website. You can register on there and get all the times and dates. It's funny. I see you talking about mites and squirts and peewees and bantams. I mean, you were all those uh, at one time. Were you always a goaltender? Did you ever have the chance to play forward or defenseman? And how in the world did you end up being a goaltender? So, actually, funny you ask. Uh, so, yeah, I was a defenseman through mites. And then when I turned to squirt, I tried goalie for the first time. And I think I let in, like, 17 or 18 goals in the first game. And, you know, it kind of got under my skin. And I was like, man, I got to get back in there. I can't end on that. So, yeah, I gave it another shot and did a little better. So, I stuck with it and just kept trying to improve from there. <laughs> wow. I'm just wondering mm – -hmm. For kids that play basketball, there's always a basketball hoop and a basketball. You can do that by yourself. Baseball, you can always right. hit off a tee into a net. So there's ways as an individual you can get better without anybody around or a big space. But when you play mm -hmm. hockey, you need ice, you need the equipment, you need someone to shoot at you. How do you stay Absolutely. sharp? What do you need to do during the offseason to prepare you for the start of a hockey season? Yeah, for me now it looks a little different, but when I was a kid, I just try to play as many sports as I can. And I think if there's one thing that I can express to parents and, and young kids trying to get better out there, it's try out everything. I think in the off season, have fun playing other sports. Like I played soccer, baseball, tennis, whatever, whatever I, you throw at me, I was, I was in to do it. And I think that's the way that you just become a better athlete. And in the long run, that helps out for sure. He is Ryan Bischel, Notre Dame goaltender, back for another season with the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. I remember when Cale Morris was a part of this Irish hockey program, a terrific goaltender mm -hmm. for the Fighting Irish. And after watching him for a couple of years, I finally went up to him and asked, why in the world do you take your squirt bottle? Anytime there's a stoppage, you, you squirt water up in the yeah. air. And he explained to me mm -hmm. it's a great way for him to focus in. He, he looks at that droplet, and it's almost like locking mm -hmm. in on a hockey puck. I'm just wondering, do yep. you have anything you do during a game to keep yourself sharp? I do the exact same thing. That's actually something that I picked up from Kale, and he kind of explained the same thing to me. Yeah, you just focus on one droplet, and it keeps your eyes sharp. So that's something that I picked up from him. And I think, like Kale, I picked up things from the other goalies I played with here. So, yeah, it's kind of fun to put it all together. Hmm. He is Ryan Bischel, Fighting Irish goaltender, joining me here on WSBT Radio. Ryan, just as a hockey broadcaster and a Notre Dame hockey fan, I thought you had a really interesting decision to make after last year. 
You were the best goaltender in the Big Ten, one of the best goaltenders in the country. And this was your first full season of being a starter at the collegiate level after backing up some really talented guys. So I was wondering Mm -hmm. after last year, would he go pro or might he come back for another year? And my thinking was this, just as a hockey nerd, maybe he comes back for a second year just to validate everything you did this year, plus the opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament with a great bunch of guys. What went into your mindset deciding to come back to college rather than signing a free agent contract with a professional team? Yeah, you kind of touched on it. I think for me, like when I came into Notre Dame, I really wanted to compete for a national championship. And I felt that I didn't really have that opportunity. And I guess not making the tournament last year kind of stuck with me and it pushed me to come back for another year. And I'm excited we have a good group of incoming freshmen that I think are going to give us a good chance to get to that NCAA tournament and compete for a national championship. So I think that was kind of the big driving factor for me was wanting to compete on the national stage. And is it fair to say from a business standpoint, you come back to Notre Mm -hmm. Dame and have a fantastic year from the business side, it could be a a very profitable decision. For sure. Yeah. I think there was still some question marks last year being my first year as a full-time guy. And I think, I wanted to come back and prove that I am capable of playing at the next level. And I think that I'll, I'll earn myself a good contract if I have another good year. So yeah, I think hopefully it's the right decision in the long run for sure. Jeff Jackson is your head coach, an old collegiate goaltender himself. I know he does a lot of the work with the goaltenders. I'm just wondering the impact coach Jackson has had on you. Has he changed much in the way you stop pucks? From a technical standpoint, we work on little things each day and each week. Um, But I'd say the biggest difference that he's made in my hockey career is just from the mental aspect. I think he gives me a lot of books to read in in the offseason and things to work on from a mental aspect. And I think that's kind of been the biggest step that I've taken as a hockey player since I've got here. And he's, he's helped me do that. I'm curious, is there a book that has stood out that he has given you that impacted you? Yeah, so there's a book, Swagger, uh, by Lisa Elm that I just read last summer, and I'm actually buying a copy for all my teammates this coming week. Uh, I think it made such an impact on, on my mindset, and I'm, I'm hoping that it can do the same for some of my teammates, and I feel like it's a good investment that will pay off in the long run. <laughs> well, Ryan, that's very impressive for you to enjoy a book that's helped you, and then you go out and buy it for your teammates, that sounds like someone that's taking on leadership responsibilities for this year's hockey team. And there's going to be some younger pups on this year's team with a pretty big freshman class. Did you kind of take this upon yourself to be more of a leader on this year's hockey team as one of the older guys on the squad? Yeah, absolutely. I think me and Trevor Janicki and coming back, we kind of had a conversation like we need to take more of a step from a leadership, uh, leadership position. And I think like, Guys like Landon Slager and Jake Boltman are a little more comfortable being vocal in the locker room, and they do a great job of leading. And I think it's kind of up to me and Trev to take another step and, and help support them in, in making this a winning team this coming year. I remember a few years ago our great goaltender Cal Peterson was named a captain, and that's just not something you see very often, a goaltender wearing the captain C. If you were given that honor, what would that mean to you? Uh, that would mean a lot to me, I guess. Yeah, it's up, it's up to the guys in the room and, and what they think. But either way, I think that I'm going to do uh, do my best to kind of take a step from a leadership position. And I'm an older guy, so I think, yeah, some of that responsibility falls on me for sure just to kind of share some of the experience that I've he- had here at Notre Dame for all, sure. All right, Ryan, take hockey fans or maybe someone that doesn't follow hockey into a game situation. You're in between the pipes. Mm-hmm. 
and you've got all these sure. bodies in front of you. Your defensemen are trying to push the offensive player out of the way, but sometimes that can be very, very difficult. While all that's going on, you're trying to find the puck that might be out by the blue line. What does it take yeah. to be a goaltender to be able to I almost want to say block out some distractions and keep your eye on the puck as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's kind of the big focal point for me is just eliminating as many distractions as I can. And at the end of the day, you're not going to stop every single puck, but you can just do what you can to give yourself the best chance to make that save. And I think, like you said, a big thing is eliminating those distractions and just kind of focusing on the task at hand because things they happen fast when you're out there. Is the worst case when the puck gets redirected on its way to the net? Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, that makes it interesting. You kind of just do your best to, to fight it off and get a piece of it. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Bischel, Notre Dame goaltender, my guest here on WSBT Radio. How many young kids like to get into being a goaltender? At like, for example, at your camp, are there going to be a handful of, of goaltenders that you're going to work with or more at this age? We're talking about just learning the basics of skating. And for me, I still know how to stop. So you could probably help me along the way with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I haven't looked at the registration numbers uh, too closely lately, but I think we were at like seven or eight goalies. So there wow. should be a good handful of them there for sure, which will be fun. We'll, we'll have a scrimmage and whatnot on the last day. So It'll be fun to see those guys in action. When Ryan Bischel was a, a squirt or a peewee, who were the goaltenders that he loved to watch on TV that were playing in the NHL? Or maybe it could have been someone that was in high school or, or playing at the University of Minnesota. Who stood out to you as a kid? Uh, so I'm trying to think back. I think two of my favorite goalies growing up were Martin Brodeur and Carey Price. I think those were two guys that I looked up to for different reasons. But, yeah, I guess – those were the two big names that I kind of followed pretty closely. Four times a year, the Irish play the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Do those four games mm -hmm. mean something more to you? I know you try to keep every game meaning the same, yeah. but I, it, we're humans, and sometimes when you play the home state school, it might mean a little more. For sure, yeah. You know what? There's there's a handful of us Minnesota guys, and I'd say that <laughs> that each of us gets a little more excited for those games, but. I guess we have other rivalries, too. I think guys get pretty excited going into Michigan and buildings like that. So we try not to blow it out of proportion and keep things kind of the same each weekend. <laughs> As a hockey player, do you get into seeing the schedule when it comes out? I know the non-conference schedule was released earlier in the week. Did anything stand out when you checked yep. it out? Yeah, so Clarkson stood out for me. That I was actually committed to Clarkson University before I decided to come here to Notre Dame, so that was one team that, that stood out to me, and I'm excited for that weekend. Wow, I did not know that. That's that's really good yep. information. And anytime any Boston-area teams come to town, that's got to be exciting, yep. especially for a Minnesota guy. They're always, I guess, the movie – about the 80 Olympic hockey team probably dramatizes yeah. the rivalry between the East Coast and Minnesota, but there's probably still something to be said about wanting to outdo the guys from the East Coast. Absolutely, yeah. No, I've played on teams with guys out from the East Coast, and we always try to have that argument. What, what's that better <laughs> hockey, the East Coast or, or Minnesota? I'm still a firm believer that it's Minnesota, but they can think what they want. <laughs> you mentioned a moment ago you were, you were committed to Clarkson for a time. What was it about – Notre Dame that changed your mind and the impact this school has had on you over the last four years? Yeah, I guess the thing that changed my mind, I came out here for a football game against Stanford and they brought me on the field and stuff. And 
that was just a ton of fun and I experienced kind of the community within the hockey team here and it was something special that I hadn't experienced at any other school I visited so Notre Dame definitely stood out to me and it was an easy decision to commit here as soon as they made the offer and then as far as what's changed me since I since I got here I think there's a lot I think I just matured a ton and the school has given me a lot academically and given me a really good group of friends outside of the hockey team and guys on the hockey team so I'm going to have a lot to take with me for the rest of my life, which is something special. I would have to imagine the Compton family ice arena impressed you when you saw it for the first time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a special place, and the atmosphere in there is pretty exciting when we get games. So, yeah, a ton of fun. Have you ever walked through the portion of the Joyce Center, which is now the fencing area? That's where Notre Dame hockey used to play. Have you ever tried to figure out how they played hockey there? (laughs) I have, yeah. I've seen pictures of it, which helps a little bit. But, yeah, it's kind of confusing to think that there used to be a a hockey rink in there. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it looks very, very Mm -hmm. strange now. But, boy, we had a lot of good times in that old building. Well, Ryan, as we kind of wrap things up here, why don't we recap one more time? You've got your youth hockey camp coming up July 21st through the 23rd third remind folks again the website when to get registered and any other details you want to throw in yep so registration is open for another week and you can uh you can get to that at www.ryanbishelhockey.com and like you said it runs july 21st to the 23rd and we're hoping to get as many kids out there as we can and i'm really looking forward to it Ryan, really good to catch up with you. And again, just really appreciate the All-American season you had last year for this Fighting Irish hockey team and really looking forward to seeing this new-look Notre Dame hockey team. I know there's a lot of grizzly old veterans still around, but some young pups are coming in to make this a, a really interesting hockey team. And I know with your leadership and other guys, the the freshmen are going to be in really good shape. So have a great rest of the offseason, and I guess we'll see you between the pipes in 87 days. All righty. Sounds good. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was good chatting. Good chatting with you, too, as well. That's Ryan Bischel, Notre Dame goaltender. Again, ryanbischelhockey.com to check out the details on his youth hockey camp at the Compton Family Ice Arena July 21st through the 23rd. We'll take a timeout. Sports Beat continues in just a moment on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here come the Irish. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. And a diving catch by Notre Dame. Benjamin Morrison. Three interceptions on the day. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Intercepted on the 45-yard line. So Reek Bracey. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. He will score. 10-5. Touchdown, Benjamin Morrison. 95 yards out. Well, we are 45 days away from the start of the Notre Dame football season. August the 26th, the Irish and Navy over in Dublin, a game that you can hear right here on WSBT Radio. So we are inching closer. Fall camp inching closer. But we still have plenty to talk about. We've got Tyler Horka joining me, the Fighting Irish football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Please check out his work at Blue and Gold Com. I've been distracted during the commercial break listening to Tyler's colleagues at Blue and Gold, Mike Singer, Tim Hyde, talking to, I think, is it one of the top guys for on three recruiting? Is it Charles Power? Is that a good way to label him, Tyler? Yeah, director of scouting, I think it is. So if there's a 
prospective player in the high school ranks right now, he knows about them. He can tell you about them. I'm impressed. I, I really got locked into their conversation, almost forgot to call you. So that's a good sign, good content. And you can check out, of course, a lot of video content on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel, including each week Mike and I having a Notre Dame football recruiting conversation on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. All right. Well, away we go with our own conversation without any video involved. I'm going to start with this, and this is something that I asked our listeners in yesterday's Twitter question of the day. So let's start our exercise with this. Everyone agrees that Notre Dame improved the quarterback position as they basically replaced Drew Pine with Sam Hartman. That is a what we think is going to be a major improve. So now take away the quarterback position, the other 21 starters combining offense and defense. When you think about this year's other 21 starters compared to last year's other 21 starters, my listeners were asked to vote on how they would describe the combination or the comparison. Better, close to same, not as good. Close to same was the big winner, not much support for, not as good. I'm just wondering... From a general conversational standpoint, when you think about taking away the quarterback position, the 21 starters this year compared to 21 starters last year, do you think that this year's bunch can be just as good or maybe even better? I would have to say that the answer is probably somewhere in between about the same and not as good. I I have a hard time leaning toward even better because, and I know we're probably going to get to some of this later in the conversation, you lose arguably your top players on either side of the ball in Michael Mayer and Isaiah Foskey from last year's roster. You're replacing them with basically guys that were around last year and they were either injured or they just weren't as good as those two guys, obviously, and and some of them didn't even crack the two deep. I mean, you're looking at Jordan Patello, Yeah, I guess he was the backup Viper last year, but it didn't even really feel like there was a backup Viper because Isaiah Foskey did so much for this football team. And then at times it didn't even really feel like there was a second tight end because Michael Mayer did so much for the football team too. So I know that's only two of the 21, but you kind of look at it the rest of the way and, and a lot of the same faces are back. Now you hope that they're improved from one year to the next. Like maybe Joe Waltz is somehow even better. Like maybe he's, NFL caliber right now and some people are like man this this rule of you got to spend three years in college is pretty dumb because Joe Alt could have been playing pro football last year but that's another conversation you hope guys improve you know Blake Fisher maybe he looks like he's ready to take the next step so for it to be for the answer to be better than last year's 21 players outside of the quarterback you're going to have to see a lot of improvement from guys that were around I mean I've mentioned Jordan Patello He's got to improve. Who is the number one tight end? Is it Mitchell Evans? Is it Kevin Bauman, Eli Raritan? Uh, one of those guys or, or one of the other three scholarship tight ends. There's going to be a whole have to be a whole lot of improvement. And then uh, on defense especially because you're, you've got the same three graduate student linebackers back. Are they lit, quite literally the same? Uh, can they get better or, or are they even going to be a little worse? I don't know. It, it's an interesting question. I'm glad you posed it. I'm glad you gave me the answers because I kind of lean with either about the same or a little worse. It's hard for me to say that they're going to be better, but 
the caveat in that is how much better does Sam Hartman make this team? Mm-hmm. Because all the, that automatically can improve the record right there. Well, I love the way you framed your answer. I'm with you. I'm in that category of somewhere in between close to the same and not as good. You lost, as you documented, two impact high-end players in Foskey and Mayer that are going to be very difficult to simulate. And I don't think we can forget the Adamiolas played key snaps for this football Mm -hmm. team. So defensive line, safety, and let me know how good the offensive guards are going to be and how that chemistry builds quickly with the O-line. If those things are all okay, then I flip to the better category. But that's a pretty big laundry list. But as I've always talked about, a quarterback like Sam Hartman can cover up a lot of warts on a football team like Brady Quinn did about 20 years ago for this Fighting Irish football team. Two teams that made the BCS that outside of Brady, I'm not sure they were BCS caliber. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and it's twofold too, because you're sitting there and you say, okay, if this was an eight and four roster a year ago, which it was, yes. Um, obviously with Drew Pine at quarterback, Maybe it's 10-2 and two with Sam Hartman, but then you get to start thinking about, man, if only they had this at this position and that at that position, then you're talking 11-1. and one. Uh, I, It's very hard for me to go 12-0 and 0 with this schedule, but 11-1 and one against this schedule gets you into the college football playoffs. So I think there's going to be a lot of people happy with 10-2 and two if that's what Sam and Hartman can provide for this football team. But once the dust settles, you're also going to have a lot of people thinking, man, holy crap, if there was just a little bit more around him, this team probably goes to the CFP. Hmm. Tyler, let me just go down the road you mentioned. Considering the talent of the players lost and considering his replacement this year, who do you think the Irish will miss more, Isaiah Foskey or Michael Mayer? Uh, Such another really, really good question, but – I'm going to have to go with I – know, I, know, I know there were both record setters. I was about to say the record setter. They were both record setter. Isaiah Foskey, yeah. most sacks in program history. Michael Mayer, most everything for a tight end in program history. I'm going to go with that guy right there. And I know Sam Hartman can make up for a lot of that. He's probably going to spread the ball around. But, I mean, I look at these tight ends and I'm like, where is the production? Who, who is it going to come from? You've got two guys coming back from ACL injuries. Mitchell Evans didn't look very healthy in spring ball himself. I mean, he was wearing uh, a brace over his right elbow, I think it was, that I mean, I, I wouldn't like to try to catch try catching footballs with that thing on or you know, blocking some of these guys that are going to be trying to get to Sam Hartman over the course of this season. So I think Jordan Patello, and part of this is I think Jordan Patello can be a pretty good player. Like, I think he can be upward of, a 10 sack guy, maybe even in that like 11 to 12 range, like Isaiah Foskey was, is he going to do everything else as well as Isaiah Foskey? Maybe not. He might not be able to stay on the field for as many snaps as Foskey did and and really grade out well in some of those metrics. But I just look at a tight end who was a Mackey finalist, probably should have won that award. I mean, there were so many people saying he was the best tight end in college football. I don't think there were a lot of people saying Isaiah Foskey was the best rush end in college football. So I look at that and and I say, man, you lose a guy like Michael Mayer, that's going to be really hard to overcome just because of who he was. And then, like I said, his replacements, there's going to have to be someone to step up. I don't see a Jordan Botello in that group. And I know Jordan Botello has to step up himself, but 
I kind of feel a little bit more comfortable with Botello starting as opposed to a Mitchell Evans or a Kevin Bauman or or one of those two sophomores. Hmm. Tyler Horka, my guest, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. See, I'm going to dance back to our original conversation and just add on to your comments. When you think about last year's team, and I think there is still an outside chance those starters might be a little bit better overall than this year's starters. Time will tell. But if you put Sam Hartman on last year's team, I think they're sitting there with Alabama trying to see if they could get into the college football playoff. I'll even go so far to say they might have given Ohio State more of a tussle because you're not just sitting mm-hmm. back playing run, run, pass, punt, and field position against Ohio State. You can attack the Buckeyes with a guy like Sam Hartman. Am I crazy? I would kind of flip – you're not crazy. I would kind of flip that conversation. If Notre Dame comes into the season opener with a gunslinger at quarterback, and, I mean, Marcus Freeman's quotes were out there in public. Ryan Day heard them sure. when Freeman said, yeah, we're going to have to kind of attack this game a little differently. We don't want to get to, into a shootout with these guys. We want to possess the ball, yada, yada, yada. I think Ohio State heard that and kind of adjusted its game plan and said, okay, yeah, we can play ball possession game too. And Ohio State ended up winning the possession time. I think it was like 33 minutes to 27 minutes, which, I mean, every time you tack on something beyond the halfway point there, it gets pretty significant. So I'm not sure Notre Dame went to shootout or anything against Ohio State, but I think they could have caught USC at a vulnerable time with the Trojans looking ahead to a rematch against Utah, which they ultimately lost. And I think, I guess Caleb Williams wasn't quite banged up yet in that Notre Dame game. I I know he was running all over the place, but I don't think he was a hundred percent with the ankle or whatever it was. So I think maybe they would have beaten USC and and then taken care of uh, Marshall and Stanford, obviously with, with the Ohio state loss there. Notre Dame might have been an 11-1 team with Sam Hartman last year. I, I know I could say pretty dang confidently that they definitely would have been at least 10-2. and two. Yes. I mean, you only need to protect the ball a little bit better and, and score maybe one more touchdown against Marshall, and then you literally only need four more points against Stanford. With Sam Hartman, they're winning those games. And, yeah, I, I don't think you're crazy to say that they would have contended with an Ohio State or a USC or both with a quarterback like Hartman. All right, let's talk about this year's team now a little bit more in-depthly. On the offensive side of the football, as we are probably around two weeks away from the start of fall camp, in your opinion, Tyler, what is the most important fall camp offensive position competition we need to watch out for? Yeah, it's, I know when you hear position battle, you think, okay, two guys, same position, let's see what these guys can do. Who's going to be the starter. And you think one position only, but you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier in the conversation. I'm looking at both of those guard spots and it's not necessarily mono mono head to head, toe to toe type of competition there. I'm just looking for two guys to, to just win the job and solidify. I mean, Notre, the last thing Notre Dame wants less than Sam Hartman, Jared Parker, Marcus Freeman, all of these guys want is, not not knowing who's going to start at those two spots, say, I don't know, mid-September, a week before that Ohio State game on September 23rd. You want those spots to be solidified, and I think a lot of that is going to come here in fall camp. Now, obviously, it's Andrew Kristoffik and Billy Strauss who kind of have uh, their nose out in front of the pack for those two spots, the two guard spots on offense, but 
uh, I don't know. Maybe there's a surprise. Maybe it, Rocco Spindler comes out of nowhere or Michael Carmody or, you know, Pat Coogan, any one of these guys. I don't know who it's going to be, but it needs to be somebody. And Jerry Parker needs to find out who that is because, I mean, there, there are teams on this schedule that will attack the interior of the offensive line. And, I mean, they could bring Zeke Carell down with them too because uh, combo blocking is such a big part of this game. And if those three guys in the middle are not on the same page, it's going to be – I mean, we talk about this Notre Dame offense and what it can be with Sam Hartman at, at the controls. It could get pretty ugly in, in a minute too. We've seen that at Wake Forest with Hartman. So um, not necessarily one position battle, but I have both of my eyes glued to those offensive guards. I don't know if you're a fan of Phil Steele's college football preview, but I found it very interesting. He lists the top draft eligible players. So if you're eligible for the draft, he ranks all the players by position. The top 40 offensive guards in the country, do you know who he has at 26? Rocco Spindler. Oh, geez. Isn't that something? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I and that's the kind of thing that just, like, incites our message board to say, hey, look at this, why, why is he not playing? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Phil still knows something that I don't. Now, look, he had a really good blue-gold game. I was actually really impressed. I mean, we got to see five, six practices before that where it just he kind of looked like the same guy that was trying to scratch the surface for playing time but wasn't getting there. So maybe Phil still is ahead of his time and – Rocco Spindler is the starter at some point this season. There's a lot of people that root for Notre Dame that would love that. But, I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, now he's starting because Notre Dame didn't have anything else at the position. It's another to say, okay, he's earned this. He's going to be really good. Obviously, Notre Dame wants it to be the latter. And and if that does happen, hey, man, I wouldn't even call him a late bloomer at this point. Some guys don't start until they're juniors. You know, that's the way it used to be in college football. And at some sometimes at some positions it's still that way. Offensive line definitely means more that way than any other position too. All right, for the folks on your message boards that see Spindler ranked on this steel list, and why isn't he playing? <laughs> Let's just look at the opposite side of the coin. Draft eligible players at quarterback. Sam Hartman is number twenty-eight. Ahead of him, oddly enough, at twenty-six is Jalen Milrow of Alabama, who Tyler Buckner is going to beat out this year. And, oh, by the way, at 22 is Pittsburgh's Phil Dracovic. Oh, wow. Does that yeah, give you a headache? Board mania. <laughs> no, that's message board mania right there. And look, I'm not an NFL draft junkie by any means. Uh, you know, My former colleague, Patrick Engel, loved it a whole lot more than I did. We're, we sent him to the combine, and he did all that <laughs> stuff for us. So hopefully Jack Sobel likes to do that too because I'd be more than happy for him to be the guy that goes down to Indy. But I do know that 28 quarterbacks do not get drafted in every single draft no, class. Sir. And there are a lot of people saying that Hartman is, you know, fringe draftable territory. So for him to be way down at 28, that's surprising. That's, that's mid-July fodder right there mm, at its finest. No doubt. All right, on defensive side of the equation most important fall camp defensive position battle to watch closely yeah i'm going to kind of take this the same direction that i did with the offense and look at two spots two very similar spots uh strong safety and free safety i mean there's kind of a hodgepodge group of guys there some returners uh, obviously some transfers in is thomas harper going to play safety how good is antonio carter coming from the fcs ranks 
Houston, uh, not Houston Griffiths, but DJ Brown is back for a graduate season. Uh, Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts, somehow those guys are seniors already, and it feels like just yesterday we were talking about them as like up-and-coming up sophomores making position switches. They were the future of the position. You're sitting here a couple of years later, and you're trying to convince yourself of that still. Like, yeah, Xavier Watts is going to be really, really good. And you've seen flashes, you know, sideline to sideline, very good tackler. Uh, and Ramon Henderson has all this athleticism. But, man, we're talking about a Notre Dame secondary that ranked next to dead last in passes broken up last year. I mean, they need to close on the football. They need to find some guys that can just be really over-the-top defensive stoppers back there, especially with some of these offenses that are on the schedule. So, uh, as we sit here today on July 12th or whatever it is, I'm not really confident in who are those two starting guys. I mean, you could give it to D.J. Brown because he's a fifth-year guy and say, all right, we're going to have you on the field until you make us take you off or you make us keep you on. But, you know, maybe it is Antonio Carter coming in or maybe Thomas Harper – you leave Clarence Lewis at the nickel and Thomas Harper is so good at safety that mm. you say, all right, you know, this is your spot. I don't know. Uh, it, it feels the same way with the, uh, with the offense. That's kind of the hole for me on defense. I mean, we can have a whole nother conversation about the depth on the defensive line or graduate linebackers. And if they're going to be surpassed by some of these younger guys, but at the end of the day, you have to have a couple of really premier guys on the back end at safety I'm not sure if Notre Dame has that right now. All right, real quick, early enrollee freshmen. We're not counting them. Give me a freshman who will see in a Notre Dame helmet for the first time when fall camp gets underway that you're really interested in seeing. Yeah, I just mentioned the defensive line and what Notre Dame may or may not have there. I kind of like Brennan Vernon. Uh, you know, he's a Midwest kid, really highly ranked. Um, you know, defensive linemen aren't really accustomed to coming in and playing right away, but Maybe he's walking into a situation where he can do that and impress Al Washington and at least get some reps, you know, that aren't special teams right away. So I think he's a big kid, a competitive kid. And, you know, everything I've read from Mike Singer's interviews with him and just some things that he's done in the media, really love his attitude. And you need to, if you're going to play defensive line in college football, especially at a place like Notre Dame, you need to have that type of uh, edgy competitive attitude. I think he has it. Uh, and, and like you said, I'm really excited to see what he looks like in a Notre Dame uniform for the first time. All right. Tell us about blueandgold.com and why Irish fans should check out your website tonight and moving forward. Yeah, I think I finally got all of my Jack Swarbrick interview stuff up. It's been <laughs> uh, two weeks to the day, I think, since I interviewed him. And that was a great interview. Got upward of eight to ten articles from that. And uh, we're also starting to roll out some of our Uh, 160-page preview magazine content that uh, started arriving in mailboxes earlier this month. That stuff is starting to roll out online. Uh, A couple of really good articles on Marcus Freeman on there today, and then some really good player feature stuff coming in the next week or so. So uh, a lot of really good stuff there. And like you said, we're only a couple weeks away from fall camp. So as soon as that starts at the end of the month, blueandgold.com is going to be the place to be for just wall-to-wall, everyday coverage of what the uh, Irish look like about a month ahead of the season. Very good. He's Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. I'm actually on vacation next week to recharge the batteries, so how about we do it again in two weeks? All right, yeah, I think we'll have some actual football to talk about at that point. That'll be exciting. Looking forward to that. All right, Tyler, we'll talk to you then. Really appreciate your time as always.
All right, enjoy your vacation, Darren. Thanks. I will try. Thank you very much. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. His take on some of the storylines heading to fall camp for Marcus Freeman's Fighting Irish football team. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. 628 is our time. We'll keep Sports Beat rolling on this Wednesday evening next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. West League champion. Adios! Walk off home run! Eloy Jimenez! Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye! And maybe that's a winner! Here's Darren Pritchett. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is being brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. For 13 years, Folds of Honor and Budweiser have provided life-changing scholarships to military families. Join United Beverage in raising a bud to raise funds for Folds of Honor. We're also brought to you by Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you Barnaby's The Family Inn. Well, the All-Star Game was in Major League Baseball last night. Who in the world were the players? I mean, seriously, who were the players? If you are... A novice, average, or maybe even in some cases a diehard baseball fan? It was hard to know who the players were last night. Now, granted, there was a lot of new faces in the game. And if you don't follow the game closely, there's probably some all-stars you're not familiar with, including the guy who hit the game-winning home run from the Rockies in the eighth inning. But Rob Manford, the commissioner, who made the decision to get rid of the tradition of having each player wear their actual team's uniforms and substitute in these odd-looking American League and National League uniforms. What a bad choice. Because at the very least, if you see the team name, you're probably going to figure out pretty quickly who the player is. In this case, the National League, I think the uniforms, the jerseys were a mix of blue and black, but blue was the basis, and then the pants were black. And, of course, they had their names on their back, but it's oftentimes hard to recognize some of the players because they're not in their real uniforms. They need to ditch this uniform thing. You're not. I can't, well, let me say this. I can't imagine Major League Baseball is making tons of money off the jerseys. Maybe they are, and if that's the case, this is the way we'll go. But my heavens, let the guys wear their actual uniforms. It made the game seem important and special, I thought, when that was the case. But good old Rob decided to make that move a couple of years ago, and the result is, who is this guy? I have no idea who that player is. Well, I'll say this. It was an okay all-star game last night. Nothing to write home about. Nothing spectacular. Some of the defensive plays in the first inning was a lot of fun. But 
I'm kind of glad in a way the game doesn't mean something like it used to. Remember when we had to go through the winner of the game, that league got home field advantage for the World Series. I didn't like it from that from this standpoint. And I don't mean to disrespect fans of these teams, but I think as a group we can all say that guys from the Pirates and the Royals shouldn't be deciding who gets home field for the World Series. If we're going to make the game mean something, and I don't know if we really need to, but if that is something people want, then let's have the best players play the entire game. Have the American League and National League build rosters that are going to be put together to beat the other team. If there is a guy from the Philadelphia Phillies that against left-handers they can't touch, put him on the roster and use him as a guy to get out the best lefty bats in the America League for the situation I've just developed. Have an amazing base stealer who might be able to come in in the eighth inning and steal a base for you to set up the winning run. So if we're going to make it mean something, Let's get rid of everybody has to be represented in the game. We don't have to have a representative from every team. Let's make this game like it's game seven of the World Series and you are pulling out all the stops. You have the best bunner, the best stolen base guy, a defensive shortstop wizard. Put him in the game in the eighth inning for defensive purposes. That's how you make the game mean something. Really try to win the game. I don't know what the carrot is. You probably need something. It shouldn't be the World Series home field. I don't have a great answer to that carrot, but if you had something out there really good, maybe a big amount of money, that might get the attention of the players. Money seems to do that. I think for baseball, it was a chance to put a spotlight on the two guys that are going to be runaway winners of the MVP awards. You got Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Atlanta Braves in the National League, Shohei Otani, the do-everything player for the LA Angels, You take a look at what Acuna is doing. He's got a chance to be a 40 home run, 40 stolen base guy. Heck, he might have a chance to be a 40-60 guy this year for Atlanta. Coming off the knee injury, he has been amazing for Atlanta. And Otani has been Otani. Pitching, hitting. I remember this conversation going on late last season. And I didn't buy it. And many of the baseball writers, broadcasters that you hear on TV in those debate settings, who should have been the AL MVP? Aaron Judge, who had a chance, as they were talking in August and September, to get by the 62 home run mark. And then there's Shohei Otani, who is doing things we just haven't seen, being an amazing offensive player and a great pitcher. And one of the arguments that came up several times was, well, if we – Give it to Otani. We're going to give it to him every year. What's the problem with that? If he is doing things we have never seen before, and he truly is the best player, why should we be worried about giving him the award every year? If he's the best, shouldn't he get it? I don't understand the thinking, we have to pick somebody new. Now, Judge hitting 62 home runs. Okay, that's a reason at the very least, to go with him. I would not have voted that way. I would have went Otani. But I understand going with Judge. But 
If the argument is, well, he would win it every year, I don't understand that argument. If he's the best, then reward the best each and every year as the MVP. What's going to be fascinating, do the Angels have the guts to trade this guy at the deadline? He's going to be a free agent. He has said, I'm tired of losing. I want to be on a winning team. Do the Angels have the guts to trade arguably one of the best players of all time? You trade him now, you're going to get some assets back. If you don't trade him, you get nothing for him to build for 2024. It seems easier said than done, but if you're the owner, you're the GM, do you want to be known as the individuals who traded the best player of their generation or our generation or the last 50 years, if you believe that? Tough. It's tough to pull the trigger. Best for the team, move him, get assets that will help you moving forward because they have wasted Mike Trout for a decade. They've got to figure out a way to get this team in position to make the postseason. He has been in one playoff series in his great Major League Baseball career. What I found interesting last night, going through the rosters of the two teams, and I probably have missed a couple of people, but based on the time I broadcasted the South Bend Cub games, 2015 through the 2021 season, it was remarkable to check off all the players who I broadcasted with South Bend or the opposition. So here's a list of the players that if you tuned in to WSBT radio when I was calling the games, these are players that were on our airwaves that are now among the best in Major League Baseball. These two guys played together on one of the more fun Midwest League teams in my time frame, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, Toronto Blue Jays. They spent a half a year together with the Lansing Lugnuts, and we were lucky. South Bend got to play Lansing a lot during that time frame, so we got to watch those two guys, and man, oh man, you could tell they were going to be very special. That was the same year Fort Wayne had Fernando Tatis Jr., who didn't make the all-star team, but obviously a former all-star and a guy that would have been on the list. So Guerrero Jr. and Bichette, you got Wander Franco, who I believe was 19 years old, playing for Bowling Green in the Tampa Bay organization. He was a part of the All-Star game here in South Bend, was so impressed with him. He made his debut, almost hit a home run to tie it in the ninth inning last night. Kyle Tucker, we didn't get to see much of him. He was in the other division with Quad Cities, but was a member of the Quad Cities River Bandits. A guy we saw a lot during our 2019 championship season, with Bowling Green, Shane McClanahan, left-handed pitcher for Tampa Bay, couldn't participate in the game due to injury, but McClanahan was a stud. They had Matthew Libertor and Shane McClanahan on that same team, and Shane Baz, who is going to be a really outstanding right-handed pitcher who's now coming through Tommy John surgery. But Libertor was considered the bigger prospect for a while than McClanahan, and Tampa traded Libertor to St. Louis, and they got Randy Arozarena, who's now an all-star in that deal, while Libertor has not lived up to the billing in St. Louis. An interesting player on the America League roster was Kendall Graveman. Kendall Graveman was on a rehab assignment. 
as a member of the Chicago Cubs organization in 2019 in the postseason. Kendall Graveman started game one of the Midwest League Championship Series against Clinton. I think he pitched four innings, gave up one run, and he was going to pitch game four or game five of the championship series on a major league rehab assignment. And Brendan King told me recently that, yep, Graveman got a Midwest League championship ring from Andrew Berlin and the South Bend Cubs for pitching in that one game. And you know what? Any ring is cool, so I'm glad he got one. A couple other names that were also opponents of South Bend that made the Major League All-Star game, Pablo Lopez, Minnesota Twins player now, but was with the Miami Marlins originally in Clinton. Jordan Romano spent a short time in Lansing. He's the Blue Jays' closer. And, of course, representing the South Bend Cubs in the All-Star game last night. And that was Justin Steele, the left-hander, who really found his game after South Bend, now one of the top pitchers in Major League Baseball. For the White Sox fans, they got to watch Luis Roberts sitting in the dugout. Was not healthy. Calf injury during home run derby. He was not a participant. All right, 648 is our time. We'll take a timeout. Sizzler coming up next on WSBT. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouthwatering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 